One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Folks, this is Dum Dee Dum, the show about the reality jockey drama that are centred on Amridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the middle class crime wave that is Royfield Brown. And with me, I have a cocky criminal that is... Lucy Freeman. And the last part of the Brookfield one, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dumbly Dum comes from Nina and her beefy family. That was done <laughs> over Christmas. There were numerous keys that were sung in. And um, all in all, it was um, a smashing rendition of uh, Barwick Green. So thank you, Nina and your beefy family for that, um, yes, memorable tuneful dum-de-dum now lucy somebody else would like to join uh, nina did i say nikki did i say oh, God, no you I said I nina before? that time yeah. i did say nina all right great oh. right now lucy somebody would like to uh, join nina and her family by sending her dum-de-dum how exactly is that done uh, if you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203031105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Uh, thanks to Cosmo for his podcast roundups, to Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Derek, the lone in that bedroom. Uh, Derek and Auntie Cardboard have been celebrating Brexit. Well, all anyone could hear from the laurels was Auntie Cardboard saying, I said you should have pulled out earlier. So we presume that's what they were doing. <laughs> Oh, well done. Uh, you and your gags, Lucy, you're quite good. You can make a living out of this. I tell you what, it's very good. Well, smashing. Well, on this week's episodes, folks, uh, we hear views from Babs and Trev, Merlin, Claire, Witherspoon, Master Miles, Shifty Dave, Margot, Ian, Old Grey Whiskers, uh, Joseph and Rosie. There's probably, probably a couple of ands there, which is uh, grammatically incorrect, but people you know that i mangle the english language at every available opportunity so you probably just like roll your eyes and say royfield shut up and give us a bit of this (laughs) 
We began the week with Philip tactfully showing Emma around the house she could have had if her husband hadn't dumped her. This is the dining room that we've got that you haven't. This is the lovely marble worktops that we've got and you haven't. Vince the Mince came round to inspect what he called the big drafty shed at Brookfield that his daughter unaccountably wants to have her wedding in. Ruth promised Vince, who seemed to have taken a bit of a shine to her, a day to remember. And even being shown around turned out to be quite memorable as the police turned up and arrested his tour guide. Vince the Mince seemed remarkably unfazed by this but i would imagine vince has been picked up by the fuzz more than once no mean feat for a man of his size david and ruth however <laughs> went completely batshit in the most unhelpful way possible david kept ringing the police station and bleating will someone tell me what is going on as clearly the words your son has been arrested on suspicion of nicking farm machinery are hugely ambiguous and could mean anything frankly when the officer said a series of thefts david gasped a series you mean more than one which must have reassured the police that if josh was anything like his daddy they were not dealing with a criminal mastermind Mm. once josh had returned contrite and tearful david muttered something about chin up old son and ruth conjured up all the maternal warmth forgiveness and empathy at her disposal and tore him a new one (laughs) josh you know your dad and i have always been scrupulous in our paperwork she shouted and then went on to say that it had taken them an entire day to find receipts for the massively expensive machinery they'd bought eventually she stopped shouting and said We're here to support you, with as much conviction as Barnier talking to Boris Johnson. Despite the arrest, Vince the Mince was persuaded against his better judgment to proceed with his daughter's wedding at the shambolic crime scene that is Brookfield, or Crookfield, as Twitter immediately (laughs) renamed it, mostly due to Josh's urgings. He seemed to sense a twin soul in Josh, who, as he has been roundly rejected by his own family, was only too grateful to get some attention from an adult who appeared to know what they were doing. And I think Josh will take on the role of intern at Mince Casey Enterprises. Forward, mini mince. Philip and Gav, at a speed unknown to the average British builder, have finished the playground already and got their picture in the local newspaper. I'm surprised Wayne Foley didn't turn up waving his Radio Borchester mic around as the poor sod will generally go to the opening of a bag of crisps he's so desperate for stories. But no, it was merely (laughs) those two grinning gormlessly into the camera with their thumbs up. And close observers would no doubt have observed Henry Archer in the background, soaring through the monkey bars and pouring Bostick down the slide. Philip was understandably full of himself, as Krusty and Philip are having a secret wedding which Krusty keeps telling people about. And then later on, Gavin selfishly ruined it all by being dumped by his imaginary girlfriend for no apparent reason. He gradually Mm. downgraded her from a barley beach to a Cretan crap fest, and she probably decided to bail (laughs) before he talked her into getting married crouched under the big plastic toadstool in the playground. Fiona daughter of jimus came back to ambridge and has changed career she is now a professional lesbian and as there was a vacancy (laughs) going in ambridge she thought she'd apply for any freelance lesbianing that needed doing in a strange scene in which johnny and lee complimented each other on their bodies they've decided to train together at gay grables johnny still sounded a little bit low post bella but hopefully he'll be back to his normal self once Lee's had him on the Nordic track machine. Isn't homoeroticism brilliant? (laughs) In another bid for parents of the year, Adam and Ian foisted poor little Xander off 
onto the mad hippie again. Kate was completely thrilled that other parents assumed she was Xander's mother rather than his mental immature aunt. Actually, they just assumed he was your son, Kate, because you were at a baby yoga class and nobody but a parent would willingly be in a room with a load of squalling babies. Baby yoga is completely ridiculous anyway. Babies do it all naturally, casually hooking their ankle behind one ear while they vomit down their own elbows. It's the antenatal yoga you have to watch out for, which is basically a load of women lying down farting, and it sounds like a room full of punctured pool inflatables. Anyway, (laughs) Kate's got completely carried away and wants to do a naming ceremony. They will stand in a circle, read poetry, and daub the baby with the blood of a freshly killed lentil. Neil went off for a meeting with his piggy overlords about Barrow and despite attending with his usual sunny optimism didn't make too bad a job of it although he was a trifle ambiguous about Hannah well Hannah is keen she knows her way around the technology and apart from being a total psychopath she's a good employee Neil was tough, (laughs) incisive, assertive, and ended up getting a demotion and a pay cut. But considering he went into the meeting sounding as if he was expected to be waterboarded, that was quite a good result. Basically, what's going to happen is Hannah is going to be in charge of inside and Neil is going to be in charge of outside. I cannot see this working. Hannah will ban him coming in for a wee she'll change the key codes for all the doors and neil will be standing outside in his overalls covered in pig shit in the sleet with his nose pressed up against the window while hannah sits with her feet up on his executive desk giving him the finger in retaliation he'll put an electric fence round her car neither of these people should be in charge of a guinea pig let alone all of the inside or all of the outside however Neil and Susan's forthcoming holiday to Lanzarote will take their minds off it. They are going on a scuba diving experience. Neil can go down for hours, apparently, so they'll both enjoy that. (laughs) With pub closures across Britain making national news, it is no surprise that the bullshit at Ambridge is now completely empty. A combination of Jolene's singing, the new name, the new dress code of loafers, no socks, a beard and a French bulldog, and the constant bickering between the bar staff means that the only customer is Justin and whoever he can drag in. Lillian is reduced to colour coding the crisps while she works her way through the optics. Good news, though. Jolene has had a booking for a big event, apparently. It's the Voluntary Mutism Society. Chair, Kathy Perks. The end. Well done. That was so much better than last week. Although I enjoyed watching you last week, seeing your happy, smiley face deliver (laughs) uh, your monologue on the YouTubes. And I have it on good authority that you are now big in Basildon on YouTube. (laughs) So well done. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to be big in Basildon. Thank you, Basildon. Thank Uh, you, the people of Basildon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as well. Uh, the analytics all point to Battleton and say that you, it was a hot spot. So, uh, <laughs> Dummers, who um, when you say the analytics, you mean, you mean the three people that watched? Two of them were in Battleton. <laughs> Is that it? And well, they turned it on bit... by mistake because they rested their elbow on the keyboard or something. Well, it's a little bit, little more than three people that have watched you on the YouTube. <laughs> and if you would like to watch Lucy on the Lucy on the on the YouTube, uh, type the in Lucy's week in Ambridge, and uh, uh, she comes up, and you'll see her, and uh, and her penguins, and uh, a roaring fire, and it's all very <laughs> lovely. And uh, she delivers a monologue uh, in the video, on video, on the TV, yes. on the YouTube. Yes. It's awesome, live uh, in how- Technicolor. 
well, in front of your very eyes, ladies and gentlemen. Take new notice of the lady behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, just what? before can I, you can go I on, oh, stop it. Yes. Stop. Right. <laughs> I need to make a plea to the listeners. Listeners, I love you a lot, but I need you to become subscribers and viewers to the self-same Lucy's Week in Ambridge. Uh, even if you plan on not ever watching it again, as a dum-de-dummer, I beg, I implore you to go onto YouTube and just subscribe. And there is a reason for that. Uh, and, we, and we need at least a thousand of you to subscribe. Uh, so we've got 950 more to go, right? So <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a My mum said she would once she's worked it out. So that's 949. That's good. <laughs> but seriously, a uh, uh, thousand is the magic number on YouTube. And uh, you can probably work out the reasons why a thousand would be uh, the magic number on YouTube. Uh, so anyway, go on to YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, uh, which is... Um, helpfully called uh, Royfield, I think is actually the channel. But uh, Lucy's Week in Ambridge is on there. Please subscribe. Whatever you do, stop the podcast right now. If you're driving your car on the way to work or if you're on the tube or a bus, get off the bus, right? Oh, no, you don't have to because you'll be listening to it on your mobile. Just stop the podcast, go onto YouTube, get the app up on your phone, subscribe, and then continue listening to the podcast. So now you've done that we can continue with the show as you were lucy you were about to say something Go. i just wanted to know if i did i miss why kelly had dumped gav no we don't know right judas says he's a bit shitty and a bit crap we but specifically no okay but you know what Luce? we can't enter into world uh speculation like this anyway because we have too many calls so That's i'm just true. gonna call rank Call rank okay. and have uh, and, and press uh, my button number three, which will do this. Hello, Ambridge three nine six two. Right now, uh, we got a lot of calls. This person technically is claiming to be a first-time caller in without going through uh, the precise procedure and saying they're a first time caller in a row. I suspect it's somebody else. But here we go. It's Joseph from Graz. Hello, this is Joseph. I live in Graz in Austria. I'm studying English and I'm also mechanical engineering and I hope to come to England one day and contribute to your great country. My tutor recommended that I listen to the Dumpty Dum. Anyway, I have listened to this, and this is very strange. Where is that stupid old woman giving half a million pounds, which is 600,000 euros, to, to what? Rewilding? What? what? I mean, in Austria, all you have to do is go to the forest, and you can shoot wild boar and, 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 and all sorts of things. I mean, I don't understand what, what they are talking about. Anyway... Also, there are other strange English habits which I'm not understanding yet, but I will carry on listening, and it is very instructive. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Roberto, and um, uh, yeah, um, uh, 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 Felix, uh, no, I don't know. Your name, nice lady, anyway, very nice lady. I, I make me laugh a lot, yes, 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 yes. yes. 
Good, good and dark. Good and abend. Yeah, yeah. I think the nice lady was you, Lucy. Yeah, who is that? The voice sounds familiar. Mm. I, I think it's somebody who's called before mm. and uh, trying to find a sneaky way of getting through our very strict Fringed censorship. Of us going, they sound familiar. <laughs> I wonder who they are. <laughs> oh, it's like GCHQ over here. It really is. Mm-hmm. But uh, considering you sounded just like Nicky Lauder, and I quite like Nicky Lauder, uh, I, I loved his bluntness and uh, and whatever. Uh, you have sneaked in, sir, uh, whoever you truly are, and you've got your call on dum dum So So props to you. Now, here is somebody who's not concealing their identity, and this is Rosie. Hi there, it's Rosie Porty calling. Uh, it's my second time caller in a ring. Hopefully I'll make it onto the podcast yeah. this week. Uh, just a couple of comments on the situation at Barrow Farm and the mad world of the BL board. It's obvious that <laughs> Hannah's machinations have paid off with her promotion and Neil's demotion. In no real word business would Neil's demotion come about after a chit-chat at a board meeting. Yeah. In my view, it's a case of constructive dismissal and Neil yep. should get Jim on the case to take BL and Hannah down. In other business news, I still don't understand why David is so desperate to have Princess Meat's wedding at Brookfield. Why get into bed with the Meat Mafia? It's not going to end well. I think that Josh is going to end up gifting his share of Brookfield to Casey Meats to pay off his legal fees. Moving on to more doomed situations, Gav moving in with Kirsty and Phil is giving me the collie wobbles. Gav is vile and sleazy. Kirsty needs to get out of there ASAP and move back in with Roy. I just, I just think this is completely doomed. But to end on a positive note, the scenes with Jim and Fiona were wonderfully written and very touching. Please can we have more of these scenes and less wacky business? Thank you very much. Bye. Mm. After you, Freeman. Well, yes. I mean, I, the idea that you could have a sort of a little chat. Uh, I mean, where were they? They weren't even anywhere. They didn't appear to be anywhere particularly formal. Justin just had a little chat and said, so anyway, we've decided we're going to cut your wages. And you can't, I don't think you can even do that. We need an HR person to ring in, but I really don't think mm. you can. Um, and it does, it, he would definitely have a case for a constructive dismissal because you could argue that they are sort of managing him out. Um the whole thing was remarkably kind of, and I love Justin's patronising, he's such a patronising ass. Um, when he said, um, well, you know, you're still on a good wage. You know, not as good as me, but you're on a good wage. <laughs> 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 and there's still no reason to reduce it. You know, and Neil just goes, oh, all right then. Well, I'll have to think about it. And that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely nuts. And but, uh, yeah. Again, it's that kind of thing. It's business by people that don't actually have a great deal to do with business. Yes, mm. it's infuriatingly ridiculous. Well, you, um, we've had Kathy and her um, HR wobbles uh, to do the BL board. Uh, and you uh, back then, I think, also said, you know, it's constructive dismissal and whatever and blah, blah, blah. The, the, very obviously... When people are, when the scriptwriters are plotting this, HR is not foremost on their minds. And what I would say in their defence is that HR is crushingly boring. And that's not to say that it's not important. 
But it's not crushingly that, boring. It's really interesting. People are interesting. Thus, no, HR is Luce, interesting. You didn't let me finish. Right. <laughs> crushingly boring in terms of trying to write a dramatic narrative around it. So what are we going to have? Oh. Like, we're going to have uh, the HR meeting. Oh, so I think that... <laughs> right. And then it gets trans- transmitted then then to, to, to Justin. And then it, it does it, you can't do it. So we... This is a dramatic construct, and we have to. The scriptwriters have to have the odd shortcut. They do. They absolutely do. Now, would this make sense in the real world? Absolutely oh, not. Oh yes, but, yes, yes. Okay, yes. But you know, we have to just go. Okay, suspend disbelief. We have to, because if we're going to play out everything that happens in in the in real life on this docudrama. We're going to be bored 98% of the time. We just are. Uh, yeah. Are there, has there ever been a, a stock take in the book? No. <laughs> but you it could I mean? have they been dramatic. Have. It could have been the big meeting with Neil that would have been a bit more kind of, um, you know, sort of a little bit more confrontational, a little bit more, you know, no, but I think well, we've well, reviewed I'm going to take thing. what Rosie said um as verbatim right so justin would have sent an email to neil saying neil i'd like to talk to you about possible restructuring um could you write us a proposal so there you go neil for a whole week (laughs) with susan worrying about this proposal you know trying to put together a new management proposal and then him having a meeting then with justin two-hour meeting where they uh, put together their two plans together. Then the other idiot in, in the board comes in, the one who was really horrible to Kathy, whatever. It's a whole month's worth of the archers. <laughs> Think about it. For it to be realistic. And then they're going to say, right, so um, we, we, have, we have this plan. We're going to put this to HR. What's a proper procedure to put this new plan in place? Then we're going to introduce another new character from HR. Oh, all right then. Yes. No, I see what you mean. So, Rosie. HR is interesting, but the procedure of it is not. The process. Absolutely is not. No, 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 no. (laughs) So they took a a shortcut here to shaft our Neil. And uh, I understand the reasons why. Uh, So I think we just have to just go suspend disbelief. That's what it is. Let's move on. And I'm moving on to Babs and Trev. Hello, Royfield, Lucy, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. Hello. Babs and Trev here. So, Trev, as a big Love Island fan, what have you got to say to those Dumpty Dummers complaining about the very mention of it? <laughs> I've got to say, you just got to keep an eye on the fiesty youth, them Babs. Ooh, I mean, they're our future after all. God help us. For me, it's not just fascinating to watch the coupling and decoupling and recoupling, etc., I also think about how it's being produced. You know, how islanders might be being manipulated and teed up to think and say things. You know, like in that Amazon Prime show, Unreal. What an eye-opener that was. I loved Unreal. It was a great show. I highly recommend it. Uh, I was sorry, though, that the Love Island podcast podcast kept Dumpty Dum out of the top ten. But maybe Royfield and Lucy aren't grafting enough. Although I do think they'd have fun demonstrating sexual positions like the butter churner and the ballet dancer. And before anybody asks, yeah, we had to look those up too. <laughs> so to the archers, Tracy got her own show finally. Yay! The script writers listened. 
I want to be more Tracy. She knows what she wants. She doesn't give a shit what people think. And she's not intimidated by those posh people. It's a character that's so well realised, you know, both in the writing and the acting. And what I call Tracyisms. My new favourite about the Bull on Burns night, I've seen more life in a Bridge Farm yoghurt. Yeah. Whilst over at Brookfield, Josh had a night in the cells and realised the error of his ways. There's nothing quite as satisfying and at the same time annoying as hearing Josh burst into tears. Now it's all gone Pete Tong after spending so many years ignoring good advice and thinking he knows best. I did really feel for the family though. That moment of doubt when his parents must have wondered, did he? Particularly after the cash machine incident. Mm. Finally, I wanted to big up Roy Fields. Hey. I've just finished listening to the whole series of How Jamaica Conquered the World. Great interviews with music and storytelling. I learnt a lot. That's all from us. Aww. Love and hugs to all. Bye. I really do love Babs and Trev. Well, I'm not surprised now they've said how much <laughs> they like your podcast. Um, <laughs> my daughter is works with a man who is just, he's on his way out to South Africa now to be on Love Island. And uh, she said... She said, he's a lovely man, but she said he is thick as mints. So there we go. <laughs> so you can all look forward to... <laughs> Trev, you can <laughs> look forward to... I think, now, what the hell is he called? I've completely forgotten what he's called. Warren? War? Mm-mm. Don't know. Anyway. Mm. I was uh, going to say just... the thick one, but that doesn't really narrow it down, does it? I don't think. Not much. Um, now, no. just a point of clarification... The Love Island podcast didn't stop us getting into the top 10. We still got into the top 10. Uh, we just couldn't get further than position number eight because I think they their episodes were num- numbers one through to five. So without them, we'd have been at like, like number three or something or another. If we consoli- consolidated them all down to one or something or another. That was the point. That's just a little point of clarification. And uh, and technically speaking, our oh, Babs... Um, I have never finished How Jamaica Conquered the World, but I did kind of slightly run out of steam. I still haven't done an episode on Usain Bolt, so there still is legitimate uh, content uh, to be done. And I have an interview with Diane Abbott, because she's of Jamaican origin, uh, on my laptop. It's been there for five years. So <laughs> so I've never actually finished it, but I'll tell you what, she, she, she didn't like me. Diane Abbott, did. I met her in her office and she walked out halfway through and told her uh, assistant to, uh, to give me some research to do uh, on her. She, she, she wasn't a warm woman. That's all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on, like the patwa in the middle of that, our Trev. Didn't know you were Jamaican just like me. Well done, smashing super. Now it's our Claire and she's in Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. She scored 16 points in the Right You Are quiz. And um, just wanted a quick, <laughs> uh, quick hooray to Susie Rids for the fantastic um, Tracy Horribin Guide to Ambridge, which I thoroughly recommend and has gone onto the Archers podcast feed. Uh, this week, I wanted to talk about the kind of debate that's raging around whether Ruth was a good parent or not for tearing a strip off of Josh. I say, so when I listened to that episode, I was like going, yay, go Ruth! Um, but I appreciate those people who have stood up for Josh saying, you know, like they've always been nicer to Pip and he's sorted himself out and they haven't shown him a lot of support or guidance. And I, I get that. Um, but I was also remembering when um, 
a couple of years ago, Pip and Toby accidentally let the cows out or something. I can't remember what happened, but mm. it cost them a lot of money. And Pip moved back in, back out of Rickyard and let it out on something. And yeah, you know, I think she and Ruth really fell out then. So I think. You know, Ruth is someone who can be pretty frank when she's disgruntled with someone. And so I don't think it is just Josh, but Ruth did lay it on a bit thick. Uh, So, you know, fair enough. And finally, I just wanted to say about Neil's job offer. Like, he'd clearly be much happier managing outdoor pigs. Mm. So to be fair, it's a much better job for him. The problem's going to be... If he and Hannah have parity in their roles, how who's going to manage the inevitable conflict? I'm glad it wouldn't be me. It can't possibly be Justin, surely. So they need to sort that out because that's going to really blow up. Anyway, keep up the good work and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Mm. Where do you stand with uh, Ruth Turner strip off Josh? Well, it reminded me of years and years ago, I... Um, uh, I, there was a, a a chap, a family friend, and he lost his his children were three and five, and they ran away from him in a department store, and mm-hmm. he he was looking at something, and the kids were just sort of playing a game, and they just tiddled off, and you know thought they were being funny, and thought it was funny to to hide and everything, mm. and you know it, the tannoy it was on the tannoy and everything, and he was absolutely well, you can imagine just beside himself. And then they reappeared, both the children, mm. and he burst into tears and clipped the oldest one around the ear, even though he was only five. Mm. And he's never, he'd never clocked him before and he has never done so since. But he said he was so furious with him, the adrenaline that was rocketing around his system with all the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the fear on behalf of the child that he smacked him and he felt absolutely dreadful about it afterwards. But he said it was a total kind of, it was an instinctual thing. It wasn't anything that he thought of. And it was the last thing that he actually wanted to do, but it just came out. And I think when Ruth is feeling massive emotion, emotion that makes her vulnerable that's how she reacts she reacts by getting angry she reacts with anger not with with upset really Mm. that's what it reminded me of but i do i do think she's got to be careful because if you behave like that particularly with a young man if you behave like that and absolutely annihilate them then they'll just stop telling you what they're doing and then you're in real trouble. That's what I think anyway. Lucy, does Josh know that his family love him? I don't know. No, that, oh, come on, Lucy. No, seriously, I don't. Josh doesn't yeah. know that his family love him. He absolutely does know that his family love him. He I don't... Feels, th- I'm not... he, Luce, he feels like he's the odd one out. Mm. Yeah, he does. And for good reason, because he is the odd one out. Yeah, he, he, he's a reluctant farmer. He's in the world of agriculture, but he doesn't really want to muck in quite literally and do his share around the farm. He sees himself as different. He's and he's and he displays a certain level of arrogance uh, with that as well. He doesn't have um, empathy 
uh, towards his siblings uh, in the way that um, they, the way that Pip and Ben have for for each other. Hence the whole scene around um, crumbs, little Rosie, and the mm. fact that he wasn't going to, you know, Pip just presumed he wasn't that interested because he'd shown no interest. Josh Archer is concerned about Josh Archer. However, his fallback position is, I'm a member of the Brookfield Archers. He knows he's loved, but he feels different for whatever reason. Right. Ruth was incredibly reasonable to tear him a new one because his arrogance has potentially put the whole family business at risk. Does Ruth love yeah. him? Yes. She was caught in a position whereby police were swarming all over their business because of the arrogance of Josh. Their, their middle child. And he needed mm. to know that he has a responsibility to his family. He has a responsibility to the institution of the farm. And he has a responsibility as a child, right, not to be so fucking um, short-sighted, selfish and arrogant. Mm. He absolutely yeah. does. So within that moment, right, when he's had a night at Her Majesty's pleasure. And then he comes home and his mother and father made sure that he's all right. Yeah, let's have some... (laughs) Let's tell him and show him exactly what he has actually done. You know, if he'd have walked in the door and they just laid right into him, but it's a case of, are you all right? What happened? And he says, yeah, I'm going to then go for it. Because he needs to know he has a responsibility as a member of that family to not just think about Josh Archer first, second, third and fourth. She was incredibly within her rights. She loves the boy. She's shown that for the last 20 odd years of his life. But he needed to be reminded how stupid he'd actually been. And I can't believe anybody would think that she went over the top. If she was doing this day in, day out, fair enough. You know, come on. You know, he's, he's an adult. He wants to start his own business, etc., etc. But she doesn't. When else has she been like this with him? I just can't believe how anybody could say this was unreasonable. Maybe she hasn't been like it with him, but she's been like it with um, uh, with with uh, Pip, hasn't she? Gone completely... I'm specifically talking about josh yeah i know i get that but i think that is how she that is how she reacts to things and i think she overdoes it well i think it's i think her emotions are within the the acceptable span of of human reactions to things she's not wildly out there you know in, in the in the great scheme of things and stuff however i'm specifically talking about josh his behaviour and the ramifications of what it could mean to Brookfield. Mm. You know, and the very fact that he's like tail in between his legs, he knows as well. He knows he, need, yeah. he needed this uh, yeah. dressing down. So anyway, yeah. uh, that's Claire from Clapham. Now we have Merlin uh, from Glastonbury, a.k.a. the vet, and he's going to tell us some stuff. Go for it, Merlin. Hello everyone in Dumpty Dumland. This is Merlin back in New Jersey. Glastonbury. Wishing you all a happy week. 
I enjoyed Emma's poem last week. Did have me thinking though, as a vet, why we have showers rather than baths. Just think about a vet going on farm all day. When you get back, you're covered in quite a lot of muck. If you have a bath, all that happens is you end up lying in a diluted pool of cow poo, basically. Mm-hmm. There's been more than one occasion when I've had a shower when the shower curtain has been running brown. So, yeah, vets, showers are much better. Anyway, on to the archers. Slightly odd archers, this extra with Tracy. I really didn't see what the point was, even though I do really like Tracy. It did seem very odd. The archers itself, Ruth really, really turning into quite a horrible person. She first with Pip and now with Josh. It's not as though Ah, she's exactly the paragon of virtue herself. Uh, So no innocence there. So can't quite get how horrible and mean she's being. It seems to be developing worse and worse. And then when we talk about people developing worse and worse, what about Hannah? She's got more and more of a chip on her shoulder. And I thought Justin was seeing through her, but now... they're giving her a promotion. Mind you, what is Neil to do? If he retires, he's got to spend more time with Susan. I'd take the demotion if I was him. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yes, see, he thinks she's out of order as well. Oh, well, he's wrong. No, he's not. <laughs> it's just wrong. That's it. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it uh, aren't... <clears throat> Looking at mm. it charitably, mm. uh, the, the, the Hannah and Neil thing, at least they've separated them. So, you know, if the friction is coming between the two people working together, then, you know, at the very least what this, what this new scheme has done is separated the two so they can both get on and hopefully play to their, each of their strengths. So maybe there is sort of method in the madness, even though it was done in a bit of a peculiar way. Mm. It's like, um, is it Saul, uh, King Saul, that wanted to chop the baby in half? Oh! It's it's literally that, isn't it? I I don't know. Um, Neil has been a pig man for, what, 40 years, 30 years. And I know Hannah isn't straight out of uni, but she doesn't have anywhere near his level of experience. Like, nowhere near and it seems to me that at the the root of this is the fact that the BL board can't manage Hannah and they're blaming Neil for this that Justin came and he saw and he said to Hannah I know what you're doing right that Mm. you're deliberately undermining Neil and then their yeah. solution now is to undermine Neil and to promote Hannah. Yeah. That makes no sense to yeah. me. Makes, makes no. no sense whatsoever. So um, Neil's getting in the neck for having a colleague who is pretty much unmanageable. That's mm. not his fault. You know, the board know that Hannah is somewhat conniving and she's trying to undermine Neil. And I, I, I just, to me, it makes no sense other than. It's kind of good and compelling drama, you know, and uh, she absolutely is a villain. But other than that, mm. I don't know, Lucy. I know nothing. I know nothing. But what I do know is that I quite like the next caller in her. Can I press my button? Yes. Hello, you two. Tis old Grey Whiskers here again. Now, I've only listened to them archers as far as a bit where Josh gets picked up 
and chucked in the clink by WPC Total Sensitivity. Now, <laughs> I got a plot prediction, and I reckon that Josh be going to spill the beans down the neck and we find out that he'd been buying dodgy trailers and things off Timotei. So Timotei will be back in the picture. Mm. Well, let's all have a listen and find out then. Bye for now. Sorry, Royfield, the bloody stop key ain't working. (laughs) (laughs) Someone else said that, actually, that they thought this was an opportunity for Tim to come back um, because he seemed to just fizzle out another fizzly storyline. So, yeah, could be. Um, Do you think Josh is actually guilty or do you think he's just guilty of being stupid? Did he willfully... Do you think it was just a case of sort of more sinned against and sinning or he didn't, he didn't, he just wasn't very, just didn't keep on top of things and cut corners because he didn't have time? Or do you think it was definite a choice? I, think I am it, going to it, buy hooky stuff without ignorance. investigating. Right, I think okay. it's willful ignorance. Yeah. Um, it's a case of, you know, somebody's coming to him with, with gear mm. and he was going, mm. yeah, you know, wasn't going through the mm. paperwork, was he? Mm. Or, you know where, where, who truly owns this thing, mm. and because he, he was just doing uh, doing deals, you know, in a very cavalier uh, manner, and uh, it was just making money. And these deals were probably a little bit too good to be true. You know, he was getting mm. these uh, all this all this uh, farm machinery um, a little bit too cheaply, and he knew it. You know, but it's willful mm. ignorance. Willful ignorance. Okay. That's what I reckon. Mm. There's, we've had a couple of emails, by the way. Uh, both Ooh, about smashing. Two about the... Sorry? I said smashing. Oh, you said smashing. Sorry. Um, two about the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Welsh Witch said, <clears throat> are the BBC planning some sort of cross between the Archers and the Apprentice? Because the business acumen being displayed on the Archers would suggest so. Why are Ruth and David getting so het up about the booking from hell when half the facilities aren't ready yet? So the blushing bride not only has to navigate cow shit... But builders, would most brides who were getting married in June have already booked their venue? Yes, absolutely. About a year and a half in advance. Um, the renaming of the bull so they can attract a younger market. That's uh, nonsense. Most young people now start the evening by drinking in the home beforehand. So they couldn't drive to Ambridge and getting a taxi both ways isn't financially viable. Um uh, yeah, her plot predictions are something will happen to either Neil or Susan on their holiday and will raise the importance of having travel insurance. I can't stand Gavin, but I think he's going to be the new villain of the Archers. I think he's fabricated the split between him and Kelly so he can move in with Phil and Kirsty and work on splitting them up. Johnny is going to be involved in a storyline about young men and body dysmorphia, perhaps including the taking of bodybuilding, enhancing drugs. I don't... Not every, not every storyline has got the BBC press office <laughs> written all over it. Um, but yes, I do. I, I, I completely agree about the, the business thing and the bull thing. I think that the whole wedding thing is a nonsense. And I think the, uh, the bull, well, we know within the bull name changes bollocks as well. Um, and Jennifer Corley agrees and said <laughs> the archer started as an everyday story of country folk to give government advice to farmers. Now it seems to be heavily centered on rural startups, utterly unfeasible apps, <laughs> pubs rebranding and ridiculous wedding venues with mysterious budgets for kitchens and toilets and no licenses are currently Twitter bugbears. We like our docudrama to be a vaguely possible alternate reality. Maybe it's about time they added a small to medium enterprise advisor to the agricultural advisor. 
on vaguely possible alternate reality thread, when is anyone ever going to mention Brexit and the massive strain or uncertainty that's putting on farmers? Massive big elephant in the room. I want Linda covering the village in EU flags and weeping on Friday and preferably someone having a massive go at Adam. Um, and thank you to the editor or scriptwriter that put Josh in jail. That was a beautiful, beautiful thing, she says. <laughs> that's very mean, Jennifer. Um, and last one. Very quick from Shirley Johnson, who just puts haggis with gravy to exclamation marks. First time emailer in a row, but I had to comment. It would never happen. Haggis with gravy. They definitely need a catering advisor. Occasionally whiskey and pepper sauce, but never <laughs> gravy. Mm. Well, I spoke to my sister used to when she was um, chefing and hoteling. They used to do a, um, uh, a a Burns night, and she said they would never do haggis with gravy as well. You had because haggis comes in between. You have haggis with whiskey, and then you have the main course. And the main course would be like Scotch beef with gravy, but not with the haggis itself. So yes, mm. yes. Uh, can I just have a, a, a little bit of a um... And about Turner, can I do a handbrake turn in our proceedings? Yes. Where are we right. going now? Uh, to the to Rome, the two popes. Oh, okay. Oh, it's brilliant, Lucy. Is it? Yeah, it's so good, so good. Um, I switched it on uh, the other day. It, it was just kind of on in front of me, and I thought Anthony Hopkins doesn't half look like Pope Benedict. I went bloody hell. Right, I had no, I had no <laughs> understanding as what I was watching. I know it's called Two Popes. I hadn't read anything about it at all. It was just mindless Netflix watching. This is a great uh, uh, human study. Two contrasting personalities. Um, it's very apt that guilt plays a massive part um, in this on on both of the popes. Uh, parts uh, that Pope Benedict um, realises the hubris that he has taken into the way that he sees uh, the Catholic Church and religion and then he feels he has to reason the reason why he actually resigns he feels incredibly guilty about something uh, which is pretty seismic and then um, Jonathan Price plays uh the guy who's going to become Pope Francis. And he is just this wonderful figure. And then you realise, because they do a flashback, the the pain and his uh, compliance in turning us a blind eye to the, the dictator, dictatorial regime in Argentina in the 70s and the 80s. And, and he carries that around with him. But it's just two old men talking, Lucy. Uh. Oh, it was just, I was just captivated. It was two old men talking. And it's actually quite funny as well. It's not played for, for laughs at all. There's this one, one part where um, Pope Benedict is playing the piano and he's this very good pianist and he's like, uh, knocking out a tune. And he says, oh, have you ever heard of a group called the Beatles? <laughs> 
Pope Francis goes, huh? Yeah, I have. And he says, yeah, well, I recorded this album like in in the 70s, this piano recital album. And I I heard this group called the Beatles. I don't know who they are. Pope Francis says, Abbey Road. He goes, no, they didn't record it in Abbey. No, no, Abbey Road. (laughs) It is just utterly brilliant. The performances are totally sublime. And you get a real sense of the warmth that these two men have for each other at the end. You know, one of them resigns, one of them then becomes Pope. And it's incredibly cleverly done with the they intercut between um, real footage and then uh, reconstructed footage and then them talking. Oh, if you just wanted to sit down learn lots about theology, liberation theology, about the history of uh, Argentina in the 70s and the 80s, uh, as viewed through the prism of the Catholic Church and Jesuits. And it sounds daunting, but it isn't. It was just wonderful, utterly wonderful. And when the Pope walks out of this back room of the Vatican where ordinary people are just like walking through and they realise here is the Pope and they're all taking selfies with the Pope. It's great. Utterly great. (laughs) Please watch The Two Popes. Um, It's a wonderful biography. It's a comedy. It's a drama. But I say it's not played for for obvious gags, but you won't come away from that and go, you know what? The dude who is Pope now is a proper good soul and he's trying his best, you know. And if this is a whitewashed job, um, they've done a very good job. Brilliant. Go watch Two Popes. Back onto the Archers. Where are we? Uh, Another call. All right, then. Let's have Dave. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Royfield. It's Shifty Davey here from Fife and other places. (laughs) I have some predictions. I think that we're being set up that Gav and Kirsty are going to have a tryst. Jim arriving all distraught about Callie. Obviously will remind Kirsty of her own tribulations at the altar. And I think the way that they began with the most furious and strange hostile encounter is a bit like a kind of classic rom-com setup, where um, before you know it, there'll be rummelty-tummelty over the expensive <laughs> sofa in front of the 73-inch TV screen <laughs> on top of the box of Christmas lights in Big Phil's, <laughs> no doubt, lushly carpeted home. I think Jim, I really love the story of Jim and his um, and the funeral of Jason, and I wonder if we might be leading into uh, a kind of more long-running historic abuse story where he makes contact with the undoubtedly other survivors and maybe forms a group. And if we remember when he represented Jazza, he's a very loyally fellow. And I think there mm. might be an interesting resolution to that whole storyline there. And then lastly, I really enjoyed having um, Il Capo de Tutti Capo of Ambridge, uh, Vince Casey, the meat cowboy, bringing young Josh under his wing. I think we're being set up for Josh to become a, a badden, a good fella, yeah. a meaty, a meaty yeah. farm machinery, good fella of Ambridge. Anyway, those are my predictions. Uh, Dave, I, I love that. Vince Concilio. Casey and a beef Stetson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, I think, lo- I, think he's, I think, I think you're, 
Yes, I think you're right, Davey. I think there is um, a bit of Josh being sort of groomed by Vince, who has spotted something in him. And I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a, a lawyer that was given recommended by, you know, the King of Meats to me. In the, for, I wouldn't touch them with someone else's barge pole. No, uh, no it's a really bad idea. Um, but yes, but then, you know, because they'll just, the family will just rely on bloody Usha, won't they? Who ap- appears to specialise in absolutely everything. So no doubt she's also special, will suddenly remember that she specialises in, um, you know, farm machinery theft. Um, but... <laughs> Yes. Uh, and Kirsty and Gavin, oh God, I hope not. I really do because I just think he's such an unpleasant, petulant little tit. I could bear the idea of him, uh, you know, just being alive any longer than, 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 than we absolutely have to listen to him. Um, so yes, I do hope that he sods off soon and this storyline comes to a conclusion because I really, I really, he really makes me feel quite cross. Mm. I uh, couldn't agree with you more, though I must admit, I love him because he's just so horrid. Yeah. And I have no idea where this whole storyline is going. No idea. No idea. And when they take us on a journey like this, you know, I'm I'm just in it for the ride. I'm just like, take me wherever because I don't like this dude at all. And this is... Uns- his nastiness, for me, seems totally unsustainable in, in a dramatic way. So... The only thing you can truly say is that he won't be around for that long because they've painted him out to be so kind of like venal uh, that it's unsustainable, you know. Uh, But where this is going, heaven only knows. Uh, But I'm in for the ride, so take me wherever, script writers. Now, uh, that uh, that was Shifty Dave. Uh, in the ancient kingdom of Fife and other places. And now it's um, somebody who's on uh, the uh, western side of the hemisphere, the other side of the Atlantic. It's Master Miles. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Master Miles calling from a grey and chilly but still reasonably beautiful day in upstate New York. This week on The Archers, we found out, shocker, that Fiona Lloyd, Jim's daughter, in fact went on vacation with someone called Angie. And so we can chalk up one more to the meager number of gay and lesbian characters who have appeared on The Archers. <laughs> now, two cheers for them. They used it, as they always seem to use these peripheral gay characters, as a way of demonstrating that the residents of this small rural town are in fact relatively cosmopolitan and are living in at least the late 20th century, if not the 21st. The idea that Jim Lloyd would be particularly perturbed about this doesn't really wash with me. He was a university lecturer, for heaven's sake. Moreover, we've had all of these minor characters, starting, as far as I remember, with Harry the Milkman, who came out of the closet on Archer's Extra almost as soon as he started speaking and only as he was leaving the show. And then we've also had the drag queen Carmen, and we've had Carol Tregoran's daughter, whose plotline was almost exactly the same as Fiona's, the semi-estranged daughter who reveals her same-sex partner just as she is reconnecting with a semi-estranged parent. Just for unoriginality, this plotline falls down. So I'm hoping 
that Fiona and Angie will decide to move to Ambridge and become prominent, vociferous, non-silent members of the community in years <laughs> to come. And that will tide us over until Ben Archer finally sorts himself out. That's all for me. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Hmm. I'm not sure. Was was Fiona estranged from Jim? She wasn't really, was she? No. I mean, I, I, they were both Alistair. estranged from Jim in that... Yeah, well, Alistair and Fiona were both estranged from Jim in that Jim was so closed off, they couldn't sort of get mm. close to him. Yeah. Um, but I don't think she'd estranged herself because she was gay. I think, you know, it's sort of... I think it was a bit... bit I don't think it was quite as, and and also Anna Tregoran had she estr- she hadn't really estranged herself from her mother either had she? There was there was some level of tension, but I'm trying to remember exactly what they put it down to. Um, but the, 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 if the fundamental point is that um, lesbians are treated as periphery and never at the the heart of, of the village. Um, well, then you have to say, well, that is that is true. You know, we've had, yeah. in effect, uh, Anna Trigor- we are, where, where Where are the Trigorans now? Just gone, right? Let With alone, all the Trigorans. Uh, however, 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 I don't know if you noticed, Lucy, but I'm a person of colour. And are you? The, Bloody yeah, hell. I am. So um, depending on where I am on planet Earth, I, I'm in a minority. And... I've always thought that, and I have said this before, that the way that Sid was written vis-a-vis Adam, when Mm. Adam comes back and he comes out as being gay and Sid is uncomfortable with him being on the cricket team, etc., I thought was very true to life in that he was a character who was somewhat beloved by us, the listeners, And we had no idea that he was homophobic. And most people who hold prejudice, whether it's racism or uh, homophobia, most people don't live their lives overtly like that. They're just regular. Mm. And then you scratch a certain level, then it gets revealed. And the reason why I say as as, as a person of colour, because very obviously I've had instances in my life where I just thought somebody was just like, you know, fine and normal. And then they'll say something, you go, wait on a minute, that's bang out of order. And I think we've been a little, the scriptwriters have been a little bit too liberal and a little bit too, everyone is cosmopolitan, in that not one person in the village has said, aye, aye, two men having a baby. Oh, they have. but, But... for there to be a little bit of a muttering about it. Now, mm. it, the, in terms of the point with Jim and his daughter, I would I would expect Jim to be totally fine with it as well because he's a university yeah. lecturer and he's going to yeah. be super duper yeah. liberal. So yeah. I could, couldn't agree more with Master Miles there. But it would it would it would be really interesting if it was oh, I was going to say Lillian, but, but it wouldn't be Lillian because she's she's too liberal too. But if there was a character who's beloved on this thing that came out mm. and actually was actually mm. latently homophobic, like they didn't even mm. realise that they were until they were confronted by it and had to have an opinion and said, I don't think it's right, actually. 
Mm. And I... So this Well, Saturday, I think that's what they were trying to do with the Roy Tucker thing, weren't they? That he, when he went, you know, was was so awful to Usha and everything, it was sort of like he hadn't, it was a knee-jerk thing. He hadn't thought about it. He hadn't actually confronted his own beliefs properly. He just kind of, t- and there was an assumption there that he'd got them from his dad, that that was a kind of a, you know, just... We don't talk about it, but it's just, it's what we think. You know, we don't want those mm. sort here, sort of thing. Um, and then you, he did sort of have a have a sort of a, a moment of revelation and realise that what he was doing was wrong. But then it's never been addressed again since, really. Wasn't Sid, didn't, wasn't it the thing with Sean from the Cat and Fiddle that started was, Sid off? I, you know, I can't. I, can't I don't think it was I Adam. It was, it, I don't it, think it, it was Adam. Was, I think it was... But a lot of this was around the cricket team, wasn't it? It was. Adam came back. The character of Adam came back into Ambridge around about 2005. It's the middle of the of the noughts. Mm. And mm. Sid is managing the cricket team. And at first, Sid was like, oh, Adam's fantastic. He's a great cricketer, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden... Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adam comes out as being gay. Yeah, it's a case of, hmm. Yeah, you know. And Mm. I just thought, very brave, brilliant. Because that's how prejudice actually really plays out. But I mean, like you said, I mean, for Will Grundy to just be completely accepting of Adam and Ian. Exactly. And go, you know... Will Grundy's got a problem with everybody. There's no way <laughs> that he's, he's not going to have an issue with died that. in the wall traditionalist. Yeah. yeah. He absolutely yeah. is. So it would have made sense for him to be like, mm, well, it's just wrong. And then remember, we had that scene where Ian, in effect, counsels Will about parenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. a load of crap. What yeah. a load of crap. You know, yeah. we're, you know, I'm a liberal, you're a liberal, <laughs> and it plays up to our wonderful sensibilities that everyone yes. can just be, but the, the pure yeah. rationality and the goodness of an yeah. argument, someone can just be won over. Bullshit. Some people yeah. <laughs> have deep, dark feelings yep. for which they don't even yep. necessarily know where they come from, but they just hold them. And it'd be mm. really nice if we can have a little bit of prejudice, but... And it's not to understand the reason why somebody is homophobic or racist or whatever. But let's put a little bit of reality into this. I So I did on one of, one of my other shows, and I have said this before, I think, on Dum Dee Dum. So on the things that made England, um, David very nicely bullied me into doing an episode about the archers which i only put out we we recorded it back last october we only actually i only actually put it out uh on saturday and i talked quite a lot about june spencer uh the actor that plays peggy yeah and i used her as uh as a, a measuring stick as to how unique the archers is in that she was in episode one in 1951 and she's still in it now you know she's a hundred and she's still in it and the character is you know peggy wasn't in it then but anyway whatever she's still in it and then i talked about the changes that the character of peggy would have seen in her lifetime she was uh she comes from the east end of london she gets bombed out the east end of london she ends up in ambridge in 
1940 whatever and blah 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 whatever right and here she is uh matriarch of her family and she has two mixed race great grandchildren in south africa one gay grandson <laughs> uh you know etc etc it would make complete sense yeah for that character to go hmm right yeah. uh is this all natural is this normal to feel uneasy right so when you have a go and i'm talking about you you now uh, Lucy, when you have a go at peggy saying she's a daily mail made manifest i've mm. always said that's harsh because actually peggy has displayed a whole level of tolerance yeah. and understanding etc and your typical daily mail reader who is a hundred would be mm. railing against mixed race kids uh, or biracial kids, whatever the uh, politically correct uh, I think, phrase is. I think Shula mm. is the one that is would be the character that was likely to suddenly discover some prejudice that, well, like you said, a deep seated prejudice she? that she's got a little. Yeah, bit she of has. A, with, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she has with Usha. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and that, then that would be really good because that would wrestle with her conscience with her being part of the God yeah. Squad. Yeah, yeah. But but we really do need this because, and I listen to our listeners, and we're all very liberal and very holier than thou, and very, you know, we're smarter than the average, you know, bear. Yeah. But like, let's have a little bit of messy reality in this. You know, let's mm. have a you know and. Let's play this as really how it should be played. I'm not saying that the countryside is full of bigots at all. I'm not saying that at all. But the but people in the countryside are more conservative. Mm. Rightly or wrongly, they just are. So it would make mm. sense to have one mm. or two characters that are just railing yep. against change, yep. railing against minorities, railing against difference, but not yep. in an overt way. They're not signing up for the British National Party or you know England yeah. first but you know <clears throat> over a quiet pint at the bull just so actually yeah. I'm I'm not up for that yeah yeah let's challenge us yeah. listeners come on script writers let's challenge us listeners it's where we go but I like this character it's interesting Why are they saying I think this? that the only the only character that annoyed um Lexi about her pregnancy and was asking um, intrusive questions about which one of the two guys had got her pregnant was Derek Fletcher, who's a silent. So mm. they couldn't let a real character ask that, but you know, somebody we knew and cared about, because that would be too much. So they just have to make it a anonymous person. Funnily enough, as I said, I so I edited together this episode of the things that made England, and there's a really lovely um, interview for slash monologue with the actor that plays Peggy June right at the end of the show and she talks about um, the dementia storyline with Jack and how basically Matt uh, mirrored her husband Roger and it's really really touching at the end and she talks about this lunch that she had with her husband Roger and he's suffering from dementia but I had completely forgotten, whilst finding the clips for that show, for Things That Made England, um, that Matt had displayed a whole load of uh, homophobia towards Adam 
I found a yeah. clip when he said, you know, come on, which one of you is wearing the trousers? Which one is wearing the yeah, 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 yeah. How do you yeah. decide who's going to be the father? Do you, you flip a coin? Yeah. And Adam Lamps in yeah. there. I'd forgotten all about yeah. that. But again, Matt's an easy character. You yeah. Know, to, yeah. And, and he was saying it. They have to, to pin that on up. someone we don't really care about. Exactly. They? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So uh, the, yeah. ch- the gauntlet has been uh, thrown down, scriptwriters. Let's have somebody who has messily normal forward slash slightly racist homophobic views uh, wrapped up in a bundle of somebody who we actually quite like. Yeah. And, and so it challenges us, the, li- the listener, to truly understand where this has come from, what, where their views come from. You know, let's mm. not have a Matt Crawford or a... What if, like, what if it, it was know, if Jazza? Gav turns round. What if it hmm. was Jazza? See, that'd be good. Mm. But, it, but it cannot be Gav, you know, discovering that no. there's two no, men no, in no, the no, village. No. And no, I go, no. Oh, here we go. There's no. another reason to hate him. Yeah. 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 Anyway, moving on from that, um, here's <laughs> it, talk, talking about issues to do with homophobia. Here's one of our favourite gayers. It's Witherspoon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Lucy Royfield, Millie Bell, Yoko Bear, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, we need a little clarification. Gay men of a certain age range will indeed remember from the early 2000s an actual gay porno entitled Shaving Ryan's Privates. In doing a little research for this, yes, I did some research, I discovered that at the same time there was a British television documentary with the same title, which took a look at porn movies that spoofed Hollywood classic motion pictures. A weird coincidence. Speaking of the LGBTQ community, this week we had another lesbian visiting but not living in Ambridge. Regarding Fiona's rather late coming out to her father, only because he brought up the topic, well done to you, Jim. You handled it with great sensitivity, support, and love. And the same goes for Alistair. But Fiona, no credit to you. You should have gathered up the strength to come out to your father and brother years ago. Sadly, many gay and lesbian people who came of age in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s were dealing with too much internalized homophobia, of course based on real external homophobia, to come out to their families, even well into their adulthood. It's an important and freeing step to take, no matter what the age. Good for Fiona for finding a wonderful partner. In contrast, poor Gavin, who found out that even his fiancée didn't like him. I couldn't have been happier. (laughs) When I heard the news, my big concern now was for Kirsty, who likely will find out when Gavin moves in that it's not three's company, but that three's a crowd. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, Mr. Witherspoon. Has... Has um, Philip not noticed that Gavin will not talk to Kirsty? He he just will not address her. If she talks to him directly, he answers his father as if his father spoken to him. And you know, Philip is is very sensitive to to um, slights on Kirsty, particularly from his son. And uh, you know, I, I I I don't think he's going to put up with it. 
uh, although he is, you know, concerned about his son's well-being and everything. But I mean, it's been it's happening already. I mean, it happened in I don't know what happened on Sunday, but in the episode, the last episode on Friday, you know, Gavin was in tears and he was still being horrible to Kirsty even then. Um, mm. And Philip sort of put that to one side. And so I do hope he is he is going to sort of stand up for Kirsty and say, no, you can't you can't talk to her like that. Mm. Well, I did listen to Sundays and he does stand up for Kirsty and, and Kirsty is, is the one who is uh, trying to be uh, diplomatic and, and understanding, right. etc. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, what else did Witherspoon say? He's talking about coming out. Well, almost coming out now isn't for people who are, I don't know, let's say 20 and younger, maybe 25 and younger, maybe 13 and younger, I don't know. I don't think they come out anymore. They just are, aren't they? And everybody knows yeah. and, and the peer group know and it's not at all a big deal. Yeah. And I'm just going to repeat something which, I, which I've said before and it just makes me realise that I'm old, or at least older. But when I hear of kids who are 11 and 12 and whatever and they go, oh, blah, 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 in my class, um, she has a girlfriend. And I'm like, what? Mm. And they go, yeah. yeah, she's got a girlfriend. Yeah, and then just continue talking. Like it just doesn't matter, and you go, "My God, yeah. what a beautiful world we live in." Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it forces you to, rem- you know, and, and you and you and you go back to when you were at school. You know, yeah. no eleven and twelve year old was coming. Well, not even coming out no. was just being. Was just being. Yeah. You know, so mm. yeah. So I, I I can't speak speak for Fiona, but but also, well, what I do understand though that there are kind of cross currents in any society and one group is comfortable with one mode of behavior and another group isn't quite and whatever at, at the same time and you know society in the world is a little bit messy and, it, and it's kind of complex but you know if you know if you're under the age of 20 now and you have to kind of like come out um well if you're say, lucky enough to live somewhere where well <laughs> that's, that's okay you know what? And that's another well, thing not I was, going I was to just get about to catch to myself because it's all right for me to be saying this in a liberal utopia, which is the Bay Area, or in can I, kind of central London type of thing. If you're a little kid and you're, you are living in rural X somewhere, it might be somewhat tougher. You know? mm. But hey, anyway, uh, talking about things which I, I, I don't actually know because I've never lived that experience and stuff, so... All I can talk about is the time, Rusi, when I was 14 and I was walking down the road and three times in two weeks, people shouted at uh, nigger to me and said they were going <gasps> to go and beat me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm. Bloody hell. So, yeah. And, and, and the weird thing was that it was, in my life, up until that point, I'd never had any overt racism Probably plenty of uh, covert racism and subtle this and in all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happened three times in two weeks. I was like 14, 15. So I'm not a little kid anymore, but I am mm. a, you know, a teenager. And I never forget these guys. Nigga! Where you going, nigga? Like this. And Oh, God. I've all, I was, I'd always been in a cocoon. You know, I'm yeah. just very proud of my Jamaican heritage, proud of being English, proud of being a Brummie. Birmingham is this relatively uh, tolerant 
multicultural city and three times in two weeks. It was so weird. So weird. And then there Were was you the frightened? Time. I was more shocked. If they'd have gone mm. out of the car, I'd have been frightened. But yeah. they drove past. Yeah. The first time that they just drove past. And then talking about lived experience, and this might be a story I've told before, but we have done 300 and odd episodes, so people can have the odd repeat if I've repeated this. But it's this whole thing about, you know, kind of a lived experience and me kind of saying that, you know, if you're under a certain age, you shouldn't have a problem necessarily with coming out. But it does really depend on your family and where you're coming out, et cetera, et cetera. But it's that whole thing where every black teenager, wherever they are, in a majority white country has this com their parents have this conversation with them when you get in trouble with the police or if the police come up to you right you be scrupulously polite mm. don't give them any excuse mm. yep at all to doubt yep. you uh because you will not be treated the same. Yeah. Don't give them yeah. any excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about, uh, so talking about um, uh, two popes, Queen and Slim, which has been up for some Oscar nomination and BAFTA nominations, is a brilliant film for if you are white. And middle class. And you don't necessarily think that you have any privilege because you're just living your life. And I think this is what us people of colour kind of forget as well. People are just living their life regardless. And they don't think, because why should they think about others 80-90% of the time? Because you're too busy just living your own life. And and how these two black 20-somethings get on the wrong side of the law. One of them's a lawyer... One of them, you don't actually know exactly what he does, but he's, he's, he doesn't even drink. He's been, never been problems with the police. And they get pulled over, and all of a sudden, they're on the wrong side of the law. And my mum had that conversation with me about being uh. scrupulously nice to uh. policemen because they do not uh. treat you properly. Uh. Every last one of my friends had that conversation, and especially black boys. And... Uh. The only time that the police have come to my parents' door was I was playing football round the corner um, from my mum and dad's house. My mum and dad lived in this like Barrett estate, you know, mm-hmm. with all those identical kind of houses. Round the corner was the council estate or the council row of houses. I was playing football round there. And with I was the only black boy out of, I don't know, Let's say there was eight of us playing football, four aside. And this guy turns to me and says, stop kicking the ball against my fence. We're all playing football, but he, he singled me out. Um. And this is what a lot of people don't realise about racism, is that it's not overt. It's the reason why I'm saying let's have somebody with some subtle homophobic or racist mm. views and yeah. stuff. Right? He felt uncomfortable with me. If you'd have scratched that veneer, he'd have says, yeah, because it's the one black kid. I don't the black mm. kid round here. But he didn't call me the N-word. Mm. He, didn't call, he didn't call me um, 
any racial epithet. He says, stop kicking the ball against my fence. There's eight of us playing, right? But he singled me out. Anyway, I go home after an hour of playing football and the police turn up at the door. And they say, can we speak to your mum, please? And I go, yeah. My mum comes to the door and they says, there's been reports that your son has been kicking balls against somebody's fence. And she goes, she calls me and she says, what's been going on? I said, I'm playing football, mum. Right, this. Uh. Right. My mum was so brilliant in front of those policemen. Who says, why is it that just, but, but, you know, my son um, has been called out for this. Who are you playing football with, son? Uh, and I rattled off all the names. And she says, so, officers, have you been around to their houses? And they're like, no. And she oh. says, well, we know exactly what this is, don't you? She closed the door on the policeman. My mum burst out crying. She says, oh. please don't let, don't give them any excuse, son. Don't let oh. them give you any crying ariser i'm hugging my mom she says this is how it starts it starts oh, because you get picked on because you're playing football yeah. and then before you know it the, the local police know who you are anything goes wrong they're gonna like come down yeah. on you like a ton of blick, ton of bricks she says please yeah. son i didn't come to england for this to happen to you all right oh, she's crying her eyes out and yeah Anyway, I don't quite know how I ended up here, Lucy. But suffice to say, right, um, we say that we love this thing, the Archers, because it's complex. Uh, at least it can be complex. It isn't always complex. And it's messy and it's true to life. But let's have the script writers really challenge us. And to be true to how prejudice, whether it's homophobia or racism, really plays out and stuff with people just not feeling comfortable with others because they're a little bit different and they don't even really necessarily acknowledge really what they're saying and why they're saying it and stuff and um let's do that anyway i've witted on way too much i'm gonna say we've got two more caller in us i'm gonna shush i'm gonna press p on my keyboard and we'll have martha Good morning, Lucy and Royfield and all of the other Dumpty Dummers. My name is Margot. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a first-time caller in her, as I never wanted to mess up a call and not make Royfield proud. I started listening mm. in 2008 and 2000, or 2009, and I can remember the Annette and Helen storyline being one of the oh, first storylines yeah. I heard. But this week, the way Ruth has been treating Josh, that just really upset me. As a mom and just the way that she has treated Hip and Josh in the past and the way she admonishes them when her kids need help, how do they ever feel that they can go to her with the way that she reacts? And now with Vince trying to take Josh under his wing, I feel like this is going to lead Josh down an even darker path. But Gavin moving in with Kirsty and Philip. This is when it's all going to unravel. We're going to find out any of the shystery things that Philip has been doing. And it might be the end of Kirsty and Philip, I fear. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's stories. I think that we're in for a couple big storylines pretty soon. Have a great week. Bye. Martha is my new favorite caller in era. Really? Yes. Because I completely agree with her about <laughs> Ruth. How does, how is anybody going to 
Uh, how are any of the children going to feel confident bringing Ruth their problems when they have seen her react as she does to any failing? Mm. Well, you know what, where I stand on this. So I'll, yes. I'll say I'll say no more because uh, I think I said it all at the start. So anyway, uh, are you, anything else you want to add? Nope, that's it. All right, great. Smashing. Now it's our last caller in era and it is Ian. Hello, it's Ian from Edinburgh here. I called in before, um, but during that sort of funny Christmassy bit in between, so Roy Field and Lucy, if you have no idea who I am, I made a big tit of myself because I tried to explain that I was a stiff Phil because I'd remembered Phil's funeral, but I think I might I got mixed up and said I was a stifter. Anyway, it was it was all regrettable. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's Thursday, so there might be more things that happen. But I was just thinking about Justin's proposal to Neil about parity for him and Hannah. As a manager myself, I was interested um, to think about what that would do. I can't work out if it will make the tension less bad between them or create grounds for yeah. even more epic tension. Well, if, if this was real life, it might work in as much as Hannah would stop competing and be like, oh, well, I guess we're equal, so he's not a threat. In the Archers, I suspect it'll mean your pigs were terrible before they came in. No, you just did stupid things to them when they came inside. That kind of thing. Anyway, loving Fiona visiting Jim. She's a lovely woman. I like her. I like her voice. Nice to have another lesbian on the show after Carol Traboggan's daughter. Yeah, so that's good. Good gay gay parity. Um, Also, I don't know what Lucy says every week. I think she's saying something about Derek loaning a back bedroom you know where she says yes and thank you to Derek for loaning a back bedroom is that what she's saying for loaning as in yes. London would be interested to know because I've listened um, for about three <laughs> years I never understood that um, also um, <laughs> shout out to my friend Carla that I went to school with who told me about the podcast but has been too shy to call in herself so far speak pipe yourself in Carla you would be great okay love you all bye bye Yes, Carla, ring in. Stop lurking. We can see you, you know. Um, yes, what I say is, it's because I speed up because I know I've got a gag coming. So I'm thinking about the gag and I'm not thinking about the before. But I say thank you to Derek for the loan of the back bedroom because obviously this podcast is recorded in the back bedroom of Derek Fletcher's house in Ambridge. <laughs> obvs. Obvs. Yeah. Totes um, obvs. Uh, yes, I agree. Um, I can't, uh, Ian, I can't um, see whether this is going to make things better or work. I think the plan, I think that, I think Justin's genuinely thinks that it's going to be better moving, dividing the work between Neil and um, Hannah. But I think the potential for it being worse is spectacular. Mm. I, I genuinely don't know if Justin is thinking that this is uh, an equitable solution, it could well be constructive dismissal that actually wants Neil out the door. I genuinely do not know. Uh, Justin is Machiavellian. But then if, if, he, if he really wanted Neil out of the door, when Neil said, it's all right, I'll have my notice in, he said, no, no, no. If he wanted well, then, him out the door, he'd have but gone, then he would, okay, completely then. would have a case for constructive dismissal, wouldn't he? If he says, well, there you go, I'm, I'm, I'm out. And then you put that to any kind of employment law. Oh, yeah, I suppose. You know. yeah. So I, I genuinely don't know. 
but uh, Justin Elliott is a smarter man than me, so heaven knows uh, really what he's got cooking up. Uh, do we have any more emails? Because we're on the uh, nope. final leg of this podcast. Great. All right, smashing. So now, folks, it's that time where uh, some bills will get paid because you'll hear an ad or two. Then after that, you'll have a touch of Mr. Bear doing his yokel thing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Dumpty Dum, it's Yokel Bear here calling with the social media roundup for the week. And we started the week by wondering whether the press being at the playground opening would lead to some kind of revelation about Philip's past. Pat Ralph Hanavan said, yes, the publication of a photo of him is going to bring something out of the woodwork. Matthew Joseph Burt said, oh, I hope so. And Charles Ping speculated that keeping an unknown laptop in the bedroom was the clue. HMRC investigation looming. And Glyn Fullerlove uh, came up with a wonderful headline. Woman jilted at altar by groom from Plague Farm finds happiness with Playground Saviour. But you know what? Jed Robinson got it right when he said, Something exciting about Philip? Nah. Absolutely spot on, Jed. There was no revelation. It was just maybe he was a bit camera shy. Um, and that was it. So, um, yeah, as you were, everybody, because there doesn't appear to be any scandal here right now. Of course, we don't rule it out in the future. Now, where would we be in a yokel bear? Oh, God, I just referred to myself in the third person there. Where would you be in the weeks that I do the social media roundup without, that's right, a people's poll? And this week, we asked the question, who do you currently support, Josh or the police? Well, 328 people voted, so that's quite a big sample here. And the uh, result is clear. 95% of people support the police they don't only five percent support josh 
Elvis Dutton didn't hold back when he said, I haven't heard it yet, but I truly loathe that little shit. I hope Freddie is still pissed off over Bella and gets him shanked by his mates inside. Actually, I think it was Johnny that would be... Anyway, yeah, I, I get the point. However, a couple of people actually found that Josh wasn't the real villain in all this. The people that hit, the person they hated most was Pip. Joe DeBank said, as much as I think Josh is a wee shite, um, I dislike his big sister much more. She's going to be so smug. So it's a dilemma. However, um, Paul Green took a bit of a tactical, tactical position when he said, Josh, not because he's innocent, because... He's a good quality way of taking um, Pip down verbally. Now, that led me to think, where was Pip in all this? Surely she would have, you know, turned up, bit of trouble going on, you know, turned up, chance to have a bit of a go at Josh. She was strangely absent. Brian Holding, yeah, nice political reference here, but um, Brian said, nice to see Josh's approval steady at a solid 5%. He's won the moral argument. Which, if you follow British politics, is actually really quite funny. Well done, Brian. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, from someone like Josh, uh, we also talked about Johnny this week, and we said, is Johnny, in terms of sheer decency and emotional intelligence, um, Ambridge's most eligible bachelor, or are there any other contenders? Joe Edwards says, as a woman of a certain age, I've got a bit of a thing for Alistair. Uh, but I think Krusty will beat me to it once she finds out Philip is a crime overlord. She's seen him in his town uh, and likes an older man and animals. Uh, if not, she should run to Rex. But Joe also said, but the sexual tension between Johnny and Lee pricked up my ears most this week. And Gordon Bavard said as well, did anyone feel the sexual tension between him and Lee there? Well, let me tell you, I did. I mean, God, I was just one step away from writing fan fiction about them. Um, yeah, there was a definite tension in the air there, wasn't there? Uh, a bit of, maybe it's kind of that male bromance thing. That's, I think that's where this is going to go. They're going to go to the gym together, going to start hanging out together. It's all going to be a bit of a bromance. Right, as we leave the topic of Johnny's envy for uh, Lee's rippling ads, I'm going to take a quick advert break. And it's an advert for, yes, you guessed it, Dumpty Dum. Um, check out, we've got a YouTube channel now. And um, you can watch Lucy's Week in Ambridge with Lucy there actually on your screen. And it's brilliant. Now, I'm a little bit worried because if we're doing this by camera now... Um, you know, if I'm ever covering Dumpty Dum, God, I'm going to have to clean the house. Oh, it's such a chore. Now, one thing we've been getting more and more of is um, visitor posts. And you can go on to our Facebook page, click on visitor posts, and you can you can post um, something. And we often kind of put that in the main timeline as well. So Jane Evans was Smith. Um, posted something saying it seems odd hearing Kate talk about Adam's limited and conventional view of the world being gay married to another man and now the joint father of a baby boy born by surrogacy I know the world is thankfully demanding diversity and equality but it's safe to say that Adam's situation still can't be referred to as conventional just yet the hardest bit to get your head around is the fact that Kate's actually right Stephen Bowden said, just because he's gay doesn't mean he can't be hidebound by all kinds of traditions and conventions, not to mention being boring. I'm totally with Kate on this, which is something I'd never thought I'd find myself saying.
And yeah, and I, I agree. As a gay man myself, I've got to say, I'm really quite boring at home. Um, yeah, I lead a very conventional life, a very dull life sometimes, but I quite like it, you know, because I'm knocking on a bit. So, um, yeah. So I don't think this whole thing kind of unconventional, conventional, I don't know. It just depends. It's They've got an unconventional setup in terms of, you know, how they got their child and stuff like that. But actually, they're... they're Ian and Adam are really conventional, probably more conventional than a lot of other people in Ambridge. Our very own Witherspoon said, and what, and really, what makes 40-year-old living in the village she grew up in, owning a struggling business, boyfriend desiring, dependent on her family, Kate, unconventional these days, besides the fact that she's ab- uh, abandoned her, her children a continent away? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing with with Kate. She's actually quite conventional. You strip away the kind of, you know the yurts and the acupuncture, and she's really quite normal. Now, let's talk about work. Um, that offer to um, from Justin to Neil, a pay cut and less responsibility, how is this a good offer? And a lot of people agreed. Hazel Johnson uh, raised a good point, which is, I don't get why an outdoor pigman would be worth less. Outdoors in all weathers, etc. Yeah, it seems to be a much harder job, actually. Uh, Kate Lyle says, if only there were a lawyer in uh, Ambridge, Neil could consult. Usha say? Who's Usha? Now, Claire Callaghan made a really serious point, and I agree with this. This episode, she said, made me really cross. There may be a farming consultant in the programme, but it isn't a business one. Uh, In a situation like this, HR would be called in. For this kind of restructure, Neil and Hannah would would be asked to apply for the new jobs. Neil would always have been told why he was meeting with the board beforehand and would have been given time to prepare something. Um, fundamentally none of this is how actual businesses work it really annoys me that um, business people are always nearly portrayed as heartless and uncaring Um, yeah I think it it wasn't very um, um, very realistic to me so yeah and a lot of other people um, have said this was a this was a thing that annoyed them Now, I'm going to end this week by saying a little bit about Jim and Fiona's coming out and how brilliant he was as a parent for that. And um, Jan Mitchell said, "Um, I can relate to this. My parents didn't um, react very well. It was a lovely scene that revealed even more dimension in Jim. By the way, I would love it if Fiona appeared in many more scenes in Ambridge. I absolutely agree because, I mean, I put on the Facebook post that my family wasn't initially as accepting. Um, they're, they're fine now, you know, they've, it's time's gone on, they've understood a bit more and what have you. But I really kind of appreciated the fact that, you know, that Jim was just so accepting. And also I love Fiona, I've really taken to Fiona. Anyway, I've done quite a long roundup this week, so I'm going to go now. Okay, you have the lovely Millie Bell next week, and I will see you the week after. Okay, bye. Goodness, there's lots of talk this week about coming out, Bar Loose, and uh, there was Fiona, and then it was really nice that Yoko Bell... Yokel Bear chimed in at the end and gave um, his kind of account of how his family... Yeah. Um, ...reacted to him uh, coming out. So uh, thank you, Mr Bear, as always, um, a wonderful roundup. Uh, Lucy, uh, give us some mirror headlines. Thank you very much, please. There's only one. Teen gets entire harmonica stuck in mouth and plays music when she breathes. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Sorry. You're yeah. right. 
you fallen off your chair? Uh, it was my pizza. Um, the, fork, oh. the fork I was eating my pizza with, uh, it fell off the plate. Um, so, mm. see, I thought... And? Yeah, go on. Yes. Tweets of the week now, mm. I'm doing. Right, great. Isn't it morning there? Why are you eating pizza for breakfast? Because uh, it's from the weekend and it's in the fridge. And right. it is one o'clock, actually. One o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, okay. So a slice of pizza at this time of day uh, is totally acceptable. Yes, totally acceptable. Um, no, they don't Linda go Balf- dinners here in the Bay Area. Did you no. know that? Yeah. Proper California, I, I think. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Linda Balfe. Mm. <clears throat> Do all young Glaswegians who grew up in council flats in the West Midlands play bagpipes like they're in the Coldstream Guards? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> it's never actually confirmed where he learned that. Anyway, um, Bubbles said, Helen, do you want my advice? Kirsty, no, I do not. Seriously, no fucking way. <laughs> that is a no. <laughs> and there's just a real burn here from Kerry Davis, who is always so mild mm. with people. I just love this. He put uh, somebody who I won't, I will spare their blushes. Mm. A listener mm. said, can I say I find Jazza's pronunciation highly suspect? And he just replied, feel free, but the actor does come from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Peggy Woolley. Mm-hmm. Isn't it about now that Jill remembers she's got a best friend she'd never previously mentioned whose daughter is the country's top criminal defence barrister? <laughs> yes, it is. And Paul Sabotti. Is tweet of the week? It is. Yeah. Go on then. No, but I'm, I'm building, I'm letting it build up. Okay. Uh, those Rosses might also check the serial numbers on David's model farm figures. I suspect they're hot. <laughs> Yay. Uh, right, notes. Uh, listeners, we did say uh, a few dummy dums ago that we will read out the list of Patreons, uh, people that help keep the lights on round here. And uh, the list is long. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to do it in two chunks. And um, Lucy, because she's better at reading out these things than me, because she went to university and didn't get kicked out like me, she can actually read. (laughs) So she's going to speed read all the way down. I was going to say, it's not that I can read, it's that I can read quick. That's what Uh, we want. And and you can read. Right, so why don't you start with Alistair King. On your marks. And get set. Go. Alistair King, Alison Fahey, Alison Kirby, Alison Hartley, Amanda Hart, Amy Norris, Andrew Horn, Andy Bent, Angela, Anne Charles, Anna Bradbury, Anna Gillespie, and John Audrey, Andy Coverubius. That's not fair to stick that in the middle of it. <laughs> Barbara Wiseman, Bernadette Maguire, Beth Marshall, Bonnie, Brian Holdring, Candida Beeching, Carla Wiley, Caroline McKendrick, Caroline Pierce, Catherine Chevalier, Catherine Rowan Jones, Cheryl Harris, Chris Aker, Christiane, Christine Gill. Christopher McKiddy, Claire Asprey, Claire Newsom, Claire Watson, Claire Aiken, David Martin, Di Middleton, Ed Price, Emily Crow, Flo Roberts, Gary Riches, Gina Charlesworth, Graham Cowling, Gretchen Anthony, Helen, Helen Davis, Helen Sharp, Ian, Ian Streeter, J-O-R-V, Jacqueline Berthaud, James Jeffries. Hello, James. I'm seeing him on Saturday. James Moores, Jane Gage, Janie Brandt, Bezik, Jean Rose, Jennifer Reba, Jenny Newman, Joe Cosgrave, Cosgrove, sorry, Joe Crouchman, Joe DeBank, Joanne Hudson, Joshua, Judith Phillips, Julie Harvey, Carl Jonas Johansson, Kate Kemperton, 
Kate Pemberton, Catherine Lafette, Katrina Wilson, Kirsten Foster. I've just realised who Catherine Lafette is. Hello, Michelle. Uh, Laura Cook, Laurie Dudley, Liz Smythe, Mandy Kayup, Magic at Mungo's, Marianne Janin, Stop. Mark Everton, Stop. Martin. All right, let's leave some for next week because I'm forever. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so thank you. And uh, part two will come back. Uh, we'll come back we'll, you'll hear part two next week alright so that's that uh, dumdum.com there's awesome things on there and also you can go and see Lucy in the flesh uh, delivering her monologues so if you go to dumdum.com hit monologue or monologue uh, you can actually see our Lucy uh, on the YouTubes on dumdum.com but remember folks we need you to do this massive solid Go on to the YouTubes, type in Lucy's Week in Ambridge, and then... That always, always sounds a little bit distasteful, asking somebody to do a solid. But anyway, we'll let it go. <laughs> Put like that, yeah. It does actually, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too earthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a solid favour. Uh, so please go on <laughs> to the channel and hit the subscribe button because uh, magic things happen when we get to a 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. And uh, we need to get there sooner rather than later. And that'd be awesome if you could help us to do that by hitting that subscribe button. All right, so that's what was one of the things you can do on dumdum.com. Uh, this show came out of uh, Twitter. And uh, Twitter uh, is still a place which is very near and dear to our hearts. You can follow us where we are at dumdum uh, on self-same Twitter. I'm at Royfield. Lucy's at... Lucy V. Freeman. And of course, there is Yokel Bear, and you can catch him uh, being himself and sometimes being a dum dum also by following at Yokel Bear. Now, I completely forgot to say that uh, you can call us by leaving us a voice message via SpeakPipe. You can do that by going onto our website, which is dumdum.com, or you can call us on 0203 to leave us a message via a regular phone. And I know that some people from a broad land have actually done that before in the past and if you do that you do plus four four for the uh, uk code and uh, that will get you through to us and of course uh, you can also catch up with our goings on on the flick app which there should be a link in the show notes if i can remember to put it up click that and then you go into the flick app i do like a little bit of flick app action and um so yesterday you had the scene from the berkeley marina looking out over the uh, the whole expanse of the San Francisco Bay Area because that's where I was watching the 49ers uh, lose the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's just one of the many great threads on the Flick app. And then also you can talk about dum dum You can talk about Lucy's monologues, as people always do, and how wonderful they are. And that's the Flick app. And then uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can also do that also by going onto Facebook, typing in dum dum Right, Lucy, uh, this has been a somewhat of a slightly disjointed show because I'm an idiot and uh, my laptop ran out of juice <laughs> through Yoko Bear's call. So I do, uh, I don't know, I'm apologising. Well, I should, I should apologise, but it means it's extra editing work for me because I'm a doofus. Um, but we knew that already. So, uh, Lucy, now is the time uh, for me to set you up to say something insightful, witty, memorable uh, or just something emotional right at the end of the show and then uh, we'll sign off and that'll be the end of dum de um all i want to say is to everybody that is listening to the show uh wherever you are in europe um 
Uh, I'm sincerely sorry that we've gone and please don't hate us and hopefully we will be back. So um, I'm just pretending Brexit never happened and um, yes, uh, and I'm sorry that our uh, MEPs behaved like the total fuckwits that they did in the European Parliament. Well, uh, without yeah, obviously the sentiment is correct, but we haven't actually left. We've still got the transition period, so we're still we're still mm. part of Europe at least to the end of the year. And it wasn't all the MEPs; it was only the uh, yeah, yeah usual suspects. Mm-hmm. You know the shower uh, that behaved in that way, and I think our European friends and cousins have enough of an understanding to to realize that they don't represent all of us so hmm. but one thing i would say though right and just to strike uh another note is that arch remain as i am as i was I don't know if we should be saying this in the past tense now um i really do think that we we, we need to move on and i'm saying us remainers um and what is going to help the country moving forward is to be aligned as closely with Europe when it comes to goods and services, et al, environmental standards, uh, to nullify the effects of exiting, of Brexiting. And, and I know people who I ho- hold dear to my heart politically, emotionally, etc., we're doing things like playing the Ode of Joy on, on Friday and things like that. Collywobbles. God, forget that stuff. Got to understand the reason why people voted the way that they did and why the Tory party had a crushing victory that they had in that second election. Got to stop fighting old battles and we have to uh, move on with the reality of the way that things are and uh, and to make sure that the economic... Uh, relative malaise that Britain will suffer from not being part of the European Union is as relative, as slight, as humanly possible. And I can't be seeing people fighting old battles on my Twitter timeline because literally it's just the battle has been lost. That's not to say that a good fight wasn't fought, but we have to look look to the future Um, and, and building bridges with other Britons and dare I say, other English people that voted to exit, but also maintaining what decent ties we can with Europe. So I don't want to hear no ode to joy, no I told you so, blah, blah, blah. These people are all just stupid and racist because they weren't all stupid, they weren't all racist, but we are where we are. That's me. Yes, can I just point out that you're saying this from the comfort of where are you now? Just give us all a quick reminder of your actual location. Uh, oh, Is it let, let me, San Francisco? Oh, let me let me just say one thing very clearly, Lucy. Right? People say to me over here all the time, "Oh, when are you going for your American citizenship?" I'm not. I am very proud to be uh, black, Jamaican, English, British, European. Mix them all up, whichever way you want. I do not want to be an American citizen. I am not renouncing the Queen and all of that stuff. I love the time when I come back to the UK. 
I'm English. To my core, I'm English, right? So it's not like I'll turn my back. <laughs> but I am though. I am. You know, I know. I know. You know. So it's not like I'll turn my back at all. I'm not like one of these ignorant idiots. Uh, oh God, no! I knew I'm doing it now. Fuck, you know. Yes, you are. <laughs> See, my plan worked. But like, no, but what I was going to say though is those people who um, then move off to Spain, and you know those. British expats and they're always English English expats let's call them what they are English expats then go to Spain and you know they voted to Brexit because they hate foreigners and then you go you do know that you're a foreigner in another land and they go oh yeah but that doesn't count though does it because they like us all over here I'm acutely aware I'm away from home and in lots of ways it's enhanced my appreciation of the many great things uh, that home actually has has to offer. I quite like the weather over here. It has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so bloody shallow! <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That's been uh, another rip roaring blockbuster episode of Dum Dum. We'll see you same time, same channel uh, next week. Bye bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.